so this morning, uh, we're going we're gonna to turn, we keep kind of wandering through this um, Love and Marriage series. We've been talking about, um, you know, trying to start from the beginning of when we were courting and stuff and then getting into marriage. And we're going to get into some of the more, I guess, heavy lifting a little bit today of what marriage looks like. But um, I, I want to talk about something that uh, every relationship needs. It's one of our greatest needs in any given relationship. And if you'll think about this with me, it'll, it'll kind of all make sense. Uh, so much of our lives are, are spent in relationships that we're not quite sure about. There's so many things in our lives that we just, you know, there's that seed of doubt, there's that wondering. We say things around here to one another like, God is faithful. But the question is, why do we say that to one another? Why do we constantly remind each other, God is faithful? What is our motivation in that? And I think that it, it's speaking to one of our deepest needs in any given relationship, which is security. We have to know that the person that we're in a relationship with is going to be there for us. Part of doing church together, being the church, part of that whole experience is knowing that there are people in the room who are going to be there all the time, right? And, and so when we say to one another, God is faithful, we're saying, we're, we're reminding one another that God is always going to be there for us, that there's nothing that can separate us. There's nowhere we can go to flee from him. David and the Psalms were about that. Where can I hide from you? There's nowhere. God is everywhere, and he's always with us. And so we have this fundamental need for security in our relationships. And so today we're going to talk about that, and we're going to hear what Jesus taught about security and about um, uh, marriage and how, how important that is in a marriage. There's a few things that security allows in marriages, and in any relationship, really, not just marriages, but in any relationship. Um, I believe security allows for honesty. We talk all about wearing masks. Why do we pretend to be somebody we're not? The number one reason I, that we, we wear these masks is because we're afraid, as survival says, survivor says, that you're going to get voted off the island. That if someone knew who you really were, they would go, you're out of here. Fundamentally, we're afraid that if God knew who we really were, he would go, you're out of here. And, and that's not the truth. Security allows us to be exactly where we are. It allows absolute honesty. Say, this is where I am. And, and I think that uh, we have to start in that kind of security with our relationship with God, being totally honest with who we are. You know, the Bible says we can't deceive God. We can only deceive ourselves. You know, that's true. When we think we're hiding behind masks and pretending and faking it, we think we're tricking everybody. The Word of God says the only person you trick is yourself. So we have to start with that kind of an idea. A secure relationship um, brings us uh, to a place where we can be really honest. I think it also brings us to a place where we can grow. Because if you're not always afraid that you're going to, you know, um, get kicked off the island, then, then you can actually try new things. You know, you can take risks. Ironically, taking risks is, is uh, critical to growing. And, and tied in with risk-taking is actually love. Because here's the truth about love and marriage. And the reason that we enter it with so much, I guess, fear and trepidation is because when you move in this experience of love toward a permanence of marriage, we say words like, you know, for the rest of our lives, you see. And, and, and you have to really have security to be able to say that, to move from that place of, yeah, I think, I think you're awesome and I really love you too. I'm going to commit to you for the rest of our lives. It's a movement towards risk-taking, you see. 
It's not a safe move to commit to one another. And so in that place, that's where true love lives. Not just in a feeling, not just in a theory, but in a practical reality that you're going to commit to love one another until death do you part. Wow. That's why things like premarital counseling are a good idea. That's why things like praying that God would show you your call in life, who he wants you to be with. If you're a believer, who else better to consult with than our Savior about those things? Well, you may have heard a statistic that I've heard before, and we talk about security in marriages. There's a statistic out there. What is it? We say that 50% of all marriages end in... That's what we hear, isn't it? 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Have you ever heard that before? What's interesting about that statistic is that A, it's, everybody knows it, B, everybody can tell you it, and C, it's probably not true. Did you know that that's probably not true? It's, marriage and divorce is such a complicated issue that people can't even agree on the numbers. But most believe that it's not 50%. There's some weird math going on there um, when they try to figure out, they, they're trying to project, they're trying to... Uh, figure out ahead of time who's going to make it and who's not going to make it, right? They're trying to guess. And their methodology for guessing is really bad. And then we're the publics, we kind of just boil it down to half of all marriages end in divorce. Half of all marriages. I know, I'm not sure if you were like me, but whenever I stood there at the altar with my wife, that number was in my head. Flip a coin. 50-50. We're going to keep our word or we're going to keep our promises or not. See, it gets in there. We're thinking about it. I wanted to share some statistics with you about marriage um, as we, before we get into the Word of God, because ultimately that's what we're going to do today. But there's been some studies done recently on marriage, because here's what's interesting about marriage right now in our culture. Marriage is on the rise. The, the, the desire for security and permanence in relationships is on the rise. And I know in our media-saturated culture, you might think, hey, marriage is on the outs. Nobody's getting married. But actually, that's not true. Statistically speaking, it's not true. And here's some, some facts that they've found. There was a, um, a survey done called State of Our Unions, Marriage in America in 2010. It was done by a national marriage project. I think it's out of um, um, University of Virginia, right? So this uh, secular school, and they're just kind of studying the realities of who is married. And they found that there were some factors that lowered your chance of divorce. So first of all, they believe this below 50% of marriages in divorce. But secondly, there's some factors that lower your chance of divorce. And here they are. The first says, if, if you're making over $50,000 annually, there's a 30% chance less likelihood for divorce for you. Okay? So that's interesting because we do a lot of stuff here with FPU and stuff. There's some, something about marriage that's a kind of another one of those common knowledge things. Number one in fight of, for mar in marriages is about money, you know? Uh, so there's this reality. By the way, that's the trend for the people who are, who are uh, staying in long-term marriages is people who are, who are more affluent. Second factor, having graduated from college versus not having completed high school, 25% chance more likely if you graduate from college that your marriage will survive. I love this one. Having a baby seven months or more after your marriage versus having a baby, baby before marriage, 24% chance of, that you're going to stay married. If you do some math there, having a baby seven months after you're married means <laughs> you're having a baby before you're married, you know. I shock anybody with that. Okay. So, you know, just, just, just thinking through the statistics here, um, that, that's called a, uh, you know, shotgun marriage, right? All right, boy. All right. That's in the Bible too, by the way. Um, 
marrying over the age of 25 versus under the age of 18. Now, these are kind of extremes, because if you're getting married under 18, you're like doing the whole parental consent thing, you know what I mean? Or you're from a state that's, you know, more uh, liberal or free than we are, right? But versus under 18 years old, 24% chance if you're getting married a little later in life. Uh, coming from an intact family of origin, 14%, versus having divorced parents. And then the last one was fascinating. They found a 14% reduction in divorce for religious affiliation versus none. Now, here's the caveat. This is interesting. They found that was only true for people who are practicing their faith. So get this. There's a 14% chance less likely of, of getting a divorce, right, if you're actively participating in your faith life. Now, if you don't believe me, check it out. Versus having none. If you call yourself a, a believer, specifically a Christian, they did some studies, if you call yourself a Christian, but you're not practicing, the, the statistic actually changes, and you're 10% more likely than atheists or agnostics to get divorced. Isn't that shocking? So it's almost like something about doing what we're doing and believing what we believe and actually living it out in our lives has an impact on us, our faith life. The last thought about this 50% statistic is this, and I want to get into the Word of God today, but the last fact is this. There's a reality that they're starting to see that the more we tell each other half of all marriages end in divorce, the more we actually see that come true. That happens. We expect it. We go, yeah, that's about right. My life proves it out. Something else I found that was interesting, um, there was recently a, um, a, a book written about social influence, and they found that uh, divorce is contagious. And so if you have friends that get divorced around you, they say 75% chance that you're going to get divorced. That's crazy. We influence one another. The Word of God tells us that. Well, today, I wanted to open those up because those are the real deal, like statistics we hear all the time, and there's some interesting things happening in there. But I don't want you to be discouraged in your own life because I can tell you that of that list, gosh, probably only one or two of those is true for me, you know? Um, and I'm not saying we've made it, but we're working at our marriage all the time. I hope you're doing the same. Don't let statistics tell you, but rather let's hear what God has to say about our marriage and what we're called to do. So today I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer as we open the Word of God, and then uh, uh, we're going to be... Uh, learning from the Gospel of Matthew today. So I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer right now that God's Holy Spirit would teach us. Father God, we've come here today to sing praises to you, to your name, to the sovereign, uh, your sovereign name who, who is beyond all borders, beyond all nations, and beyond all statistics. Today, Father God, we come here not to learn more about um, the world that we live in, but more about who you say that we are and who you're calling us to be. Father, today we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us directly, that, that we would not be hung up on the words of men, but we'd be hearing the word of God. We believe that's possible because you inspired it. Your son died to save us that we might understand it, and your Holy Spirit teaches us every day. We ask that you would give yourself to us in this time that we might become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and turn. If you brought a Bible this morning, we're going to be uh, looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. 
And uh, the Gospel of Matthew, you'll know, um, is written, uh, a written account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the Gospel. It's the good news. Um, and that's why we have a cross up here this morning, because it's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so this teaching comes right from the middle of the story about Jesus' ministry on earth. And that's why we're going to look at it together today. By the way, that's on page uh, 828 or 683. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one of ours there at the end of every, every chair row. Um, you can grab a Bible and read along. Engagement is key. We believe that here. So I'm just going to read through here, and then we're going to talk through a little bit of the, uh, the scriptures. Here's what the word says. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Now some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus answered, Haven't you read? At the beginning, the, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they will no longer be two, but rather one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those for whom it's been written. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, and others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. Those who can accept this should accept it. And so we have right in the middle of this, and, and by the way, I, I always tell you to look at the context what we're talking about, but I want to point out, and we're going to be talking about this next week, actually, that right before this, Jesus talks about forgiveness to Peter. Okay, um, and his disciples. And so this comes right in the middle. And then the next thing he talks about is what? Children, right? So here between forgiveness, teaching on forgiveness, and teaching on children, Jesus addresses this issue of divorce. And I think it's worth us looking at. The fundamental question that's being asked here is, is you could say it this way, is it okay with God for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Just for absolutely any reason that you want to. Is that okay? And, and they were asking this of Jesus. The question that they're asking here is not just like, is it allowed? You know, like we can say, is it legal to divorce for any reason at all? And we say, well, yeah, it's legal to divorce for any reason at all. But whenever the, the uh, Pharisees are coming to Jesus and asking this question, they're actually asking the question this way. Did God say it's okay to divorce for any reason at all? See, when they're saying, is it lawful, they mean, is it, does it fit with God's commands from the First Testament, the Old Testament? Did God say that it was okay? Is this pleasing to God? There's another way you could ask that question. So Jesus hears that, and it's not a question, uh, again, about the civil rights. It's a question about God's will. And he answers in three distinct ways, and, and there's three implications from this answer that, that I really want us to see this morning. And I hope, by the way, that um, you bear with me through this because, you know, Jesus spoke these words. I hope you can walk through this and don't get ahead and just hear what, what Jesus teaches us on this, okay? 
But here they are. So there's three principles or three implications that Jesus, in Jesus' answer, that if you read through there, you can just, like, we can roll right past them, okay? And the first is this, that when asked the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason, the first thing that Jesus does is he says that your security is grounded in your creation. I want you to see that with me, that our security is grounded in our creation. Jesus asked this question of them. He says, haven't you read? Now, let me ask you this. These guys are Pharisees. Do you think they've read? I mean, these guys have read before, okay? They know what God's word says. And this is what Jesus says. Haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? And before we get into the rest of this passage, I want you to see that his fundamental, fundamental movement, Jesus says, is do you not understand that God is sovereign over your very creation? That he has made you the way you are, that he was intimately involved in that. And, and this is a really big deal because here's the problem, and this is a problem in a lot of our marriages. I mean, we talked about, you know, Christian and non-Christian, but the problem is that for many of us, the only secure relationship we have, if we have any, is with our wife or our husband. Maybe, maybe for you, th that marriage hasn't worked out. And the only secure relationship you have is with your children or your parents. That's it. And when Jesus answers the question fundamentally, whenever they're saying, is it legal to divorce for any old reason? Can you just, you know, set people aside is what the scripture says here. Can you put them off for any old reason? Jesus says, have you not read that God created the male and female, that fundamentally our relationship is with him as our creator? You see, and that's a tragedy. If the only relationship, to, if, if all your security has to come from your spouse, it's not going to work. If all your, your security in life has to come from your parents, it's not going to work. If it all has to come from your kids, it's not going to work. Because fundamentally, God breathes life into you. Have you not read that in the beginning, he created them male and female? Jesus says. Isn't it interesting, knowing what we know about Jesus the Christ, you see, that he is God in the flesh? Isn't it interesting to hear, we don't hear Jesus say, do you not know that your Father in heaven created you? We don't hear that kind of language. He speaks back to this act of creation. And he says, our security is found in our very creation. Our worth is found in our very creation. The fact that God made you speaks to something about your fundamental security in life. And we can all hearken back to that. We can all have security in that truth that God made us. Did you not read that he made them male and female? Look at what Jesus says next. And said in verse 5, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I want to remind you that we heard that same verse last week, right, from Paul. And we heard the week before in Genesis. And, and I'm not actually looking for that verse whenever I was doing this. I wasn't like, I'm going to find wherever that shows up. But it's amazing that Jesus says, who said that, those words in Genesis? 
You know, we talked about that movement of guys off the couch out into the world, you know what I mean? Making a home for your wife. We talked about that movement of women waiting for guys to come, you know? I mean, that this is God's plan that we've gotten wrong. Jesus says, the creator said. See, we can read that passage in Genesis and say, oh, the author of Genesis says this is the reason. Men say this is the reason. No, listen to me. Jesus responds this way. Do you not know that God created a male and female? And God said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. And remember last week, be glued to his wife. And Jesus says, the two will become one flesh. So Jesus not only says our security is found in our creator, in our, cre in, in our creation, meaning the fact that we are created, but he also says that our call is found in our creation or in our creator. So we can have security because God made us. He knows the plans he has for us. And if you read through scripture, you'll see this promise over and over again. He, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you're walking through life thinking, yeah, that don't apply to me, I, you're just dead wrong. Because God doesn't have any exemptions for who he has created. And he doesn't have any exemptions for who he has spoken over. And it's God who is both creating us here, male and female, and also speaking the reasons of our life. Okay? And so Jesus says, um, God said these things. The creator said these things. And Jesus is God. And so here he's saying, you know, because John, I'll remind you, in the Gospel of John it says, in the beginning was the word, right? So, I mean, you got to think about that kind of stuff. And it passes like this. These are big ideas from Jesus Christ. He answers the question, first and foremost, that we find our fundamental identity in God. I will share one other thought here before we move on. It's this, that Jesus is speaking and he is God. And the miracle of the cross is the miracle of his sacrifice on our behalf. And therefore, we find our security not in knowledge of God, not in being able to tell people what God is like, but we find our security in knowing God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you hear my words, you hear the Father's words. I've told you nothing that the Father didn't tell me. He says, if you believe in me, I will send my Holy Spirit to you, and he will speak words into your heart. You will know my business, Jesus tells us. So the reality is that as believers in Jesus, we find our security beyond our marriage, beyond our circumstances, beyond our current situation in Jesus Christ and our relationship through him with our Father, with the Creator, the one who breathed life into us. It's a huge, huge deal. And that's why we come every mo mo Sunday morning, and that's why we come to the family group. That's why we, you know, get up every day, <laughs> is to tell that truth to one another, that Jesus died, that you could have a relationship, secure relationship with God the Father. Big deal. All right. So the second thing that Jesus answers, after verse 5, I want you to see it, in verse 6, he says, so... For this reason, they are no longer two, for what reason? Because God said so, but one. And then he says this, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So the second point is this. The first is that we find our security in, in God and our creator. The second is this, that he joins us in marriage. That, that the, what it says here in verse 6 is that, therefore, what God has joined, let no man separate. What God has put together, let no one divide. Literally, the word means yoke. Now, that's not a, that's a bad joke. <laughs> Don't say yoke. That's not a yoke. Listen, that's, 
It's a real deal. It's a stock. A few weeks ago, we, we talked about um, real-life discipleship, and I showed you this picture right here. But this is literally a yoke for oxen, right? And it literally, the scripture literally means that when you stood up there and you made your promise to your bride to be the, the, the love of your life, and you said, for the rest of my life, if you stood there in God's presence, and let me remind you, there's no place that God isn't present, the word of God, Jesus Christ says, he joins you. God joins you together at that time. Now, you may not acknowledge that reality. Many of us don't. See, whenever I did it, I didn't acknowledge that God had anything to do with it. I thought I was just going to give my wife a piece of paper so she could, you know, be happy. But God was right there, and he was doing this. You know, he was kind of fitting us for the noose. No, he wasn't fitting us for the noose. You guys are sleeping this morning. No, he was, he was binding us together. He was, he was hooking us up. He was binding. He was gluing. You know, we were stuck. We're like in a three-legged race for the rest of our lives. And this is the thing that if you don't understand about your marriage, you will screw everything up because you will think you're running your own race. And God has bound you to your spouse. And you will say, I'm tired of waiting on you, spouse. And God will say, listen, I bound you to your spouse, OK? So here you are. You're stuck together. And you know how it says if you've ever been in a three-legged race and the person isn't cooperating, they could break your leg, right? I mean, this is a nightmare, but this is the reality. And what Jesus says is that God joined you in your marriage, and he says, whatever God has joined, let no one break. You may hear those words at a wedding ceremony if you go to it. Sometimes pastors say that, don't they? They say, what God has joined together, let no one put asunder, right? God has yoked us together in our marriage. This is Jesus' answer. Look at the word, verse 6. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Sarks. Therefore, what God has yoked together, let man not separate. God joins us together in our marriage. Here, you go, okay, I get it. You know, God was there with the day we made the promises. That's not the day you got to remember that God yoked you together. I want to give you... Um, one of the greatest questions that you can ask whenever you face marital trouble, and, and notice I said when you face marital trouble, because remember, you know, and the disciples said it here, this is, sounds like it's going to be a tough deal. Oh, no. If God's serious about marriage, it's going to be a tough deal. When you face those days of difficulty, instead of asking the question, and this is what many of us ask, man, did I screw up? Did I make a mistake? Did he or she screw up? Did he or she make a mistake? A life-changing question that you can ask wherever you are right now in your married life is this. Did God screw up? Did God make a mistake? Because if we act as if God isn't around in our marriages, we just negate him completely, and we go, yeah, I know, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I believe that God has sent the Holy Spirit to bind my heart, and I believe he's sovereign over everything. But this one area of my life, this little tiny thing called my marriage, God has nothing to say about that. That's a wrong-headed approach as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so the question we have to ask is this. What is God doing in our marriage right now? And I'm telling you, as somebody who's been there in the middle of knockdown drag out, I'm telling you as the guy who's been wrong, wrong, wrong. Right, Chris? <laughs> you can agree with that because I'm always wrong. <laughs> Listen, we can sit there and we can be in the middle of this fight. And if we are as disciples, as learners of Jesus Christ, I'm willing to stop for a minute and say, Lord Jesus, what are you doing? We've missed the boat. 
Now, here's the hiccup. Here's the catch. Many of you have prayed that prayer. Lord, what are you doing in my marriage? And then God has given you a list of things that you need to go teach your spouse. <laughs> right? That's right. God gave you the list. And they came home from work, and you go, honey, I've been praying all day. And I got some news for you. Some good news. It's going to solve all our problems. If you would only do these things, we could have a great marriage. Here's the reality. And this is why it's a hard question to ask. Because whenever we turn to our Father in our prayer closet, by the way, praise God for that kind of prayer. And we come to him quietly when no one knows. And this isn't a place of boisterous prayer where we want to get the words right. This is a prayer, a place of prayer where it's real and authentic and relational. And, you know, you're honest. And you say, God, what are you doing? And God says, child, you got to change. <laughs> what? I thought my wife was the problem. No, you got to change. And here's how your marriage can be great. And God will start instructing you in your life. You see, he joins us in our marriage. He's not absent. And if we're willing to listen and learn and be active, 14% as a statistic is a joke because God will heal and restore us. Ultimately, we are responsible for our own walk of faith. And therefore, we have to come before Jesus and say, God, what are you doing in this situation? So the second thing to keep in mind, Jesus answers here in verse 6, is that God is present. He joins us. He hooks us together in our marriages. And we have to keep that at the forefront of what's happening. So the Pharisees here turn the corner a bit, and they say this then. Well, then why, if God, you know, joined us together and he's always present, why did Moses command that man should give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? That's put her away, okay? And Jesus replied this way. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives uh, because of your, your hearts were hard. But listen to what he says. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now, this is the verse that we all choke on. Because we go, no. Yeah, because we're, we're in a society where a lot of people get divorced. And um, I know a lot of people have gone through it. But what we have to hear is this third overarching principle and, and, um, that comes from Scripture is this, that God never, uh, divorce was never part of God's plan. There was never his intention. I want you to see that what Jesus says. He says, Moses gave this to you because your hearts were hard. And we can get into all kinds of studies about the certificate of divorce and the putting aside. And it'd be worth looking into. And if you're like one person who this means a lot to you, that the issue of divorce means a lot to you in your life, I would encourage you to study this because there's a lot going on here that we don't have time to get into this morning. But this is what he says, that this, this ability to even give each other a paper and, and agree to separate um, was not that way from the beginning. Do you remember where Jesus started his answer today? He said, do you not remember that in the beginning God created the creator made you male and female. And here he says that Moses, I'll remind you, came way after the creation narrative, right? Moses is a patriarch of, the, uh, of um, the Jewish faith, but he came way after. And Jesus says these words, it was not this way at the beginning. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, we talked about how even then God had a plan for marriage in the Garden of Eden. That's huge. Before sin entered the world, God said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. It was always his plan. And Jesus says here that it was not that way in the beginning. And so we have to understand that fundamentally, fundamentally, divorce was never part of God's plan for how we would live out our lives together, procreating and making children. It was never part of his plan 
for us. I want to back up, though, and I want to, I want to look at something that, that, that's happening here because in, in verse 3, it says, the Pharisees came to test Jesus. And so this teaching is a hard teaching, but this is a moment where they were trying to trick Jesus into saying something crazy. They were trying to trick him into contradicting Scripture, really. And so you have to see all this in that light, that they were coming to test him. They were coming to trick or to deceive Jesus to get him bound up. If you want to read more about the fundamental question they're asking, it's found in Deuteronomy 24. The specific passage they're asking about, they're asking the wrong question. Deuteronomy 24 is where it's found. But you can also read 22 through 24 because it has all the, the laws that Moses brought about how they were to live, how the Israelites were to treat their wives. And it's helpful to read through there and see without malice or, or you know, some uh, foregone conclusion about what God's, even his plans were for marriage. Something else I want to point out to you as an aside. The Pharisees come and they say, did not Moses command divorce for any and every reason? In other words, are, did, are we not being obedient to Moses when we divorce our wives for any and every reason? And, and it's a really kind of an arrogant question to ask. And if you look at Jesus' answer, he says, Moses permitted you. You see, he didn't command anything. He never spoke for God and said, this is how it ought to be. He permits you to do that because of your hardness heart. So uh, I just want to point out those couple of kind of hiccups about this particular teaching. But here is what he says. It was not this way from the beginning. By the way, verse 9 is huge. And this, you know what, man, we think that the scripture, we, people all the time, it offends me. They say scripture is irrelevant. This actually says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital and faithfulness, you know the word marital and faithfulness is one word in Greek? Pornia. It's where we get our word pornography or, por or uh, porn for short, you know, or prawn, you know. It's found right here. If, if, if the only reason, if there's a cheapening of the marital bed, if, and that's really what porn is. If there's a, if there's a, a, a degradation, if there's something that, that, that isn't reverently and holy about the marriage bed, because it was God's plan and it'd be holy. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's not the world's plan. It was God's plan. And so he says, I tell you, if anyone divorces his wife, sets her aside, except for pornea and marries another, they commit adultery. And that's a hard teaching as well. But here's the thing I want to talk to you about, okay? Because I remember this, you know, and this is love and marriage, and we're still talking about how we come into our marriages and what we do. And here's the reality that in our society, we love to use this. We, we throw this word around. First of all, we say 50% of all marriages in a divorce. But the second thing is this. If you're newly married, maybe you're not like me, or maybe you're going to be engaged and think this will never be me. But along about month three or four, you get into a really nasty scrap about something. And someone will start to say, you know, maybe this was a mistake. And it's kind of like the warning shot that this thing's going to go south in a hurry because you start trying to, maybe we should just rewind the tape. Maybe it's the first year. Maybe we should get an annulment. And then someone says, maybe I should just divorce you in the middle of a fight. Man, those words are dangerous. Remember, we talked about security and that need. You want to pull the rug out from under your spouse. Just start jerking around the D word. What, what? I thought we were to death do us part. What? We were just talking about who 
who's going to drive this morning? You know what I mean? Who's going to make coffee or, you know, I stayed out. What? what? Divorce. And that hurts. Because you see, this love thing is a risky business. And when you start to pull and push and tug on the D word, it it just tears your insides out. Something that God taught us early in our marriage, I believe it was the Holy Spirit intervening, is you've got to put the D word out of your fighting vocabulary. Now, I'm not saying that divorce isn't an option because we live in a society, and guess what? Divorce is an option. We all know it. But if you're really looking to heal your marriage, if you're looking to have a great marriage, you cannot stand over your spouse and whip them with the, the divorce word because that'll work maybe once or twice, and then their heart is just ruined. Why? I can't trust this. One more mistake and I'm out of here. How do you live that way? There's no life in that. So I'm not saying divorce doesn't happen, but I'm saying, people, for the sake of your marriages, don't fight with the D word. And if you're here today and you're not even engaged yet, I want to exhort you that whenever that time comes and you're having trouble with your spouse, resist the temptation to, to don't play with it because it feels very powerful in the fight. But those words will do serious damage. It's a big deal. And it comes from the inside out. So put that away. Don't fight with it. If you believe, especially before you're married, if you believe that, that God was, you know, you're believing in Jesus Christ, you believe he's sovereign over your yoking, then you have to stand before God and ask him what he's doing in your marriage. And you can't play with the divorce word. You can't use it as a weapon in your fighting. Last point. So those are the three major teachings. The last point is this. I want you to see that this passage, because I believe there's a lot of hurt, and there's a lot of anger and frustration and fear, right? There's a lot of uh, insecurity when we talk about divorce. But I want to see you what Jesus was doing whenever these Pharisees decided to roll up and give him a test. In verse 2, it says that Jesus had left Galilee. That was his hometown. And he had gone into a new region. And the crowds followed him. And the word says that Jesus was healing them there. Right? He was, he was fixing them. He was restoring God's plan for their life. And I don't believe it's any mistake. He just taught him forgiveness in Galilee. And he comes into this new territory. He's healing people. And the Pharisees follow him. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we have a question. What about divorce? A lot of us have been wounded and injured through divorce. And it's a very intimate issue. But let me make you this promise that Jesus Christ is one who redeems things. And I've seen this time and again. In my own life, my parents were divorced. But guess what? God used that in some ways to redeem me. He used their divorce to draw me toward himself as one who would never leave me or forsake me. Maybe you've walked through it and you got insecurities because you've been divorced. Oh, what are we going to do? I want you to know that God is healing. He's cleaving to you. And he claims you as his own. And this isn't so much a question about the past. We're not here to work on the past. But we're here to talk about where you are right now. That's the most important thing, where you are. And that in that place, we could stand before Jesus, the healer, and say, God, this is broken in me. Can you help me fix this? Can you show me how this can be fixed? Can you touch me in this way and heal it?
So it means if you're in a marriage, God wants to work in that. If you've been divorced, God wants to work through that. If you're in your second marriage, God wants to work through that. If you've never been married, God wants to work through that. And that's the most important thing. Don't live your life in the past, but live it presently before God. It's not about judging one another. It's about being honest about where we are and letting God heal us and restore us. I heard one of my favorite quotes this week from anyone. They said, God isn't one who wastes anything right? God doesn't waste anything. And I think me and you could believe that he does. That, well, that was a mistake. Well, that was a mess. If you read the story of the Bible, it's a story of God's restoration, making all things new, speaking into brokenness and bringing forth life, and even redeeming the things from our past that we think are unredeemable. God works in those places, and he doesn't waste anything. I think it's a great, great thought. So what? Here's what I want to share with you. And then we're going to have our final song today. And we're just going to allow you to sit and reflect. There's a box uh, on your engagement sheet today at the bottom. If you, want, if you want me or someone to follow up, I mean, it would probably be me, honestly. If you want me to follow up with you and say, help you find some healing in your relationship, I'm not going to bring healing. But I will be glad to sit and walk with you through it, whatever it is. Check that box. I would be glad to, to just converse with you and pray with you, see what God is doing in your life finding healing in your, in your relationship. But here's some practical things that I believe we can aim for as believers in Jesus today. The first is this, that we can root our identity in God, God's self. Husbands, wives, not yet married, been married, everyone in this room, it applies. So you can root your confidence, your security, your identity in God's uh, sovereignty, the fact that he created you. God wastes nothing. And the second thing is this, always look for what God is doing in your marriage or any relationship that you have. If you're having a tough time with something, look at what God's doing. And maybe God's calling you out, but look first at what God's doing in your relationship. As I said earlier, this has something to do with us usually, me, not the other person. And then the third I talked about a minute ago, but, you know, don't use the D word in a fight. Just don't do it. I mean, we know it's real. We know it's an option. Just, it's just goofy, goofy to do that. So those are three very practical things you can do to bring security into your marriage because ultimately, to love well, you have to trust well. And that's where we stand today. So I'm going to ask Dan and the rest of the folks to come up this morning and lead us in a final song. I want to tell you that today, if you don't feel like standing and singing, and if you just want to sit and pray, spend some time with God, if you want to stand and pray so you don't, you know, this isn't a show, but I would encourage you to take this time as a time of response for what God has said. And maybe there's something in your life that, man, that's just that spot, and you're like, oh, that hurt a lot, you know. Uh, I would ask, don't blame me for that. Not because I'll take the blame, that's fine, but I believe God's working in those spots. And I have them too. And so as we stand and we respond in song today, I would encourage you to reflect on that and just talk to God about it. What are you doing here? Why this? Why today? Sorry, folks. Father God, we give you praise and glory because of the work you're doing. And I don't know if anyone else here felt it today, God, but I felt it. I felt those areas of my life that I'm like, oh, that's not healed yet. I'm not perfect there yet. I pray that in those ways we could be attentive to your work in our life. I pray that we would have minds of Christ, that we'd be setting upon the things of the kingdom. We would not miss this opportunity to find healing and hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that in every way possible, Father God, today's response from our hearts is not about others, but it's about us in our relationship with you. May you be glorified. 
May you bring healing to your people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.